Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Garage Gym Experiment Podcast. I'm Jake, and this is our third roundtable with this group. If you haven't checked out the first two, I definitely recommend going back and listening after this one. Um, so most listening already have a pretty good idea of who's on the call. So I'll just quickly introduce everyone we have here and then get right into it with some questions. So who do we have? We've got Mike from Microgains, Dylan, Abmat, Steve, Clevabilt, Patrick, Bridgebilt, and then Jason from Surplus Strength. So guys, thanks again for hopping on. I know you guys are busy, so greatly appreciate you guys taking the time. So let's just dive into the uh, number one, the first question, something that all of us consumers want to know. So what's the status of gym equipment prices? Are they going to continue to rise, fall, or stay the same? Who wants it first? Dylan. I know you have thoughts on this. Gym equipment prices. It really depends on a company by company basis. Companies who job out all of their manufacturing, their prices have gone up. They will go up further and they will not go back down for any any time within the near future. Companies that do their own manufacturing or have invested into tooling and processes to be able to mold their products, who have more control and less middlemen within their products, it really depends on their sales route. If they're selling through distribution, their prices may or may not be reflected as going up. If they sell direct, they have more control, and therefore their prices will probably stay rather stagnant. At AdMat, we have both a wholesale outlet and a direct outlet, where some products that we have, we've invested into new processes, tooling, and molding to be able to increase the product quality and lower the overall cost and steps and to manufacture so that we can keep our prices the same, if we do raise our prices, we make sure that we're providing a better product as a result as well. We have had several products in our portfolio alone that prices have gone up over the past two years. Um, but in the past like 15 years of selling ad mats, our price on the original has gone up by $5 over a 15 year period. So it's, it's less than inflation. So um, I, 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 I'm pretty proud of that. But we do actually have a couple of products that are starting to level out and plateau in terms of their prices mostly the ones that are based off of raw materials such as our plyo box which is wood we're actually going to be lowering our price on that here this week so some of our products and prices are going down materials the stuff that we mold is based heavily off of urethane so it's based a lot off of oils um, and the price of oil what's going on across the world has disrupted that a bit where we're obviously seeing prices go up but uh they seem to have stagnated and there's within the near future a lot of hopes and prices going down we have not changed any prices to the consumer. Uh, we've kind of just been taking a lesser margin on some of these products and you know leveraging the higher volume sales that we've seen over the last three years. But uh, yeah, so I, I don't think any prices will be going up like they've been in the past three years any further. Yeah, I've noticed more of like a, a plateau or stagnation in the past, I don't know, even nine months. I haven't really noticed much of an increase, so I'm hoping it at least maintains that but I don't see it really going excessively, you know, up or down from the, from uh, where it's at currently. I mean, for us at least, like steel has gone down very minutely. Uh, so I feel like, like Steve said, like we hit a peak and maybe it's backed off to like a normalization that we can deal with where I don't foresee another price increase uh, anytime soon with, with all products either. But, you know, inflation all around, fuel costs, all that stuff really does drive, you know, your labor costs shipping costs, things like that, that are sometimes hard to calculate or foresee. Um, but 
I, I don't see prices like going down. That's pretty impressive that y'all were able to take the price of the blue box down. Bravo for that. Appreciate that. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, our prices have sort of been level for a while, if not increasing like a buck or two here or there. Um, what we've been doing is trying to keep our prices a little lower on the website and, and then having slightly higher prices on Amazon, eBay, Walmart, because they charge higher fees. Um, the only time we have to go up in price is usually because the post office charges more for shipping. Um, and then they're also going to levy higher shipping fees from October 2nd to January 22nd this year. So that's going to see a little bit of a spike. UPS does the same thing. And for the first time, Amazon is also levying a higher fee for prime time. So that all impacts the prices for us. Um, we try our best to keep it as low as possible, keep it affordable. Um, but material cost itself has been level for a couple months now. So we're just trying to do our best with keeping the fees down as best as possible. Um, and some we can control, some we can't. Yeah, and um, to to kind of con to to continue on that, like obviously, you know, there are a lot of um, raw material costs, fuel costs, like things that um, you know sometimes people don't think about. But regarding the actual price of of our products, particularly here, you know, there might be uh, some increases soon, but they're not so much regarding the actual um, cost of material or cost of fuel. Those definitely have played a factor, and we haven't raised any of our prices over the past several months, but. During that time, we have been making small improvements within the products themselves that warranty a higher cost. Like, you know, one thing is going from uh, like on our benches, we used to use just like standard bolts, but now we're using uh, shoulder bolts. And, you know, one shoulder bolt is $4.80 versus $1.64 for a bolt, you know, so like those little things that provide for a more premium product, a nicer product, that's where primarily the pricing is going to increase. And two, you know, we're also growing our staff and, you know, for the quality individuals we want, you know, some of those people don't come cheap. So, um, you know, gone are the days of, you know, now you just have to be very, very um, aggressive and competitive with what you're paying people. And it's just is what it is. If, if you're trying to, um, you know, offer people bottom of the barrel style payment, then those are the types of individuals you're going to get. And, um, you know, we're trying to assemble a team of people that are truly passionate, that care about the end product, not just come in here to, you know, clock in and clock out. And so, um, again, too, that's another component of it because the labor game has changed drastically over the last couple of years. Those are kind of the two areas where primarily why, you know, people might see slight price increases. It's going to be not anything crazy, maybe 5 to 7% on some things. But when we experience this huge surge of, you know, the fuel costs increasing, the the steel prices increasing through, you know, the spring that we experienced this past year, you know, nothing increased. But, you know, now that we're starting to settle in the, some of the new components, you know, component improvements of certain pieces, that's primarily why certain things will go up on our end. One thing that we're doing here to which w the price change is most impactful on new products, right? Yep. Not, not our old ones that we already make, have processes set up and we make tens of thousands of a year. Our new products are the ones where it's kind of having the biggest effect. Uh, we're releasing a product in the next two, three, four weeks with Kelly Starrett, a really cool, innovative product. We've decided this time we're going to try something new. Uh, we always try to just make the best product we could possibly make, and that's what we release. This one we decided once we made that product, it was a little rich in cost. So we ended up making a cheaper version as uh, that we will be releasing as well as our premium version to give really the community a choice when it comes to purchasing. You know, one's not substantially better than the other. One will hold up and be much better for a commercial gym setting. 
um, and is a little bit bigger and was the best that we could possibly do. The other one was sacrificing some of those best qualities in order to make it extraordinarily competitive in price. So we're going to be testing out this model here with this new release. And if it's successful and we see a huge influx in terms of uh, the lower cost version, then it's probably something that we'll end up keeping in mind and doing for future product release. All that makes sense. So to, to summarize, it sounds like prices will likely stay pretty similar unless like, like for example, Patrick's pretty much advancing the product. So that's why the costs are going up um, and, and also labor and, and, and those sorts of things. But overall, doesn't sound like too many fluctuations in, in cost. Dylan, Mike, I'd be curious to hear if you could share how much does Amazon take as a cut when you sell through there? So um, Amazon's regular fee is 15% on most items. So if it's a $100 item, they're going to take 15 bucks. That's the standard fee if you sell on their platform. Um, so if you, and what we do is we fulfill by Amazon. So we send our products to Amazon to warehouses, and then they fulfill for us via Amazon Prime. That's an additional fee, which depends on the weight and like the cubic dimensions of whatever you're selling. So the bigger the product, the higher the FBA fee is, I would call it. Um, our typical FBA fee might be another 15, up to another 15%. So you might be looking at 30 total percent. So if you sell a hundred dollar item, you might get 70 back. Um, that's pretty standard. Um, the only ways, like I said, to really save on costs are because you have to pay to ship it to Amazon. So you have to include that cost per item. So we try to send, you know, pallets of stuff if we can, because that reduces the cost. And typically that FBA fee, at least for my stuff, because it's smaller and denser stuff is actually a little cheaper than if we were to ship it ourselves. So the FBA fee on an eight plate set might be eight bucks. But that same um, fee to ship it to some might be $10. So you save sometimes a little bit. Plus, Amazon takes care of all customer service for um, your products that are FBA. Customers don't reach out to you. They reach out to Amazon for that. There's caveats, though. There's a high return rate on Amazon buying. If you're buying a weight plate set, what you would get. Uh, but we get, you know, we might have one or two returns on our website a month, maybe. We might have 30 returns on Amazon a month um, or something like that. And Amazon will take that, they'll look at it and see if it's in good shape, put it back in your inventory if it is, or send it back to you if it's not. Dylan, did you have anything else to add to that? You know, Mike's a lot more in tune with Amazon than I am at this point in time, mostly because he's been spearheading his own company's mission into it. I job out a lot of my Amazon stuff, and re really, we've only been in Amazon space for about five or six months, but it's proven to be insanely fruitful. Uh, that 30% doesn't bother me, especially because, you know, I pay 30% to drop ship if any of you guys wanted to sell my product anyways. And at that point in time, I still got to go out, do the work, put it in a box and ship it out. Amazon takes that 30 points, but also includes shipping in it, which is one of my biggest hurdles because of the, the, the volume of my products. Them not being so heavy, but they're large because they're phone, right? So it takes a huge burden off of my back. And shipping to Amazon has been an absolute breeze. They make it stupid easy. I shipped them 100 preacher pads a couple days ago. It cost me 450 bucks, $4.50 per preacher pad. When I If I were to ship Jake a preacher pad today, they're going to charge me 16, 20 bucks uh, with my discount yeah. from UPS, which is like 30, 40%. Huh. So yeah, Amazon's on, if you can't sell your product on Amazon right now, you, you, you better start figuring out a way to make one that you can put on that platform just because it, it's so prevalent. And at the end of the day, when I sell a product, Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos make more on the product than I do, but I keep doing it because this is, this is the name, the game that I'm in. Yeah. It's a, it's a great platform and it's, it's going to become a much, much, much larger part of AdMats future moving forward. Got it. 
Um, all right, let's let's move on to uh, question number two. So we kind of talked we talked about price in taking it towards like the actual market, and I'm thinking about this in a way of like the community or just your how many customers are out there and how they've changed. How does the home gym market compare to what it did one year ago today? I think it's growing. It's probably not as peaky, but I think just like anything, fitness is always going to continue to grow. I think the home gym community and that type of customer or user or whatever you want to call it is there's going to be more of them as time goes on, just because now the opportunity to have that equipment at home has grown as well because companies have accommodated those people. So, and fitness is a constant growing thing. I don't think it's ever going to go away. So I think where COVID was a peaky point and that's where I think everything transitioned to where people started to favor the home gym because they didn't have another, another option. And now that even the other gyms are open, people have already invested in all this equipment and then it's become more common for people to build home gyms and it's more convenient. And a lot of people now are working from home too because of COVID and how businesses have shifted. So um, yeah, I think home gyms are just going to continue to grow and the companies are going to continue to grow with that. I agree with Steve. Um, I think the community is growing and I think a lot of people are rethinking their initial setups and, and upgrading. A lot of folks have seen the benefit, not just from them being able to work out at home, but having the family in there and, and the kids, you know, joining in and the wife and stuff like that. You know, I know I've seen that in, in my own family too. So that's, that's really cool to see. I think we're just laying a, a more solid foundation for the, for the home gym community in general. People are going to, you know, start planning their homes. You know, when you move, you're like, no, we need a space where we can put the home gym. And that's just going to become more and more prevalent. Then you're going to see more builders, more designers designing, you know, homes around the home gym space uh, and things like that. We were lucky to have a client last year that built a guest home and, uh, you know, on, on their property by the pool. And they built a 900 square foot, you know, gym into that design. So it was like architecturally built just for that use. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that coming up on the high end and people really putting down some serious money on, you know, really investing. Yeah. One, one, 1000% on that. We, you know, we're working with a customer, actually two different customers right now that that's the same exact thing where, um, they sent us their architectural plans. They said, Hey, here's the gym. And they kind of, you know, sketched in what they wanted where, and then, you know, we're putting renderings together for them for, for the entire build out, which, um, which personally I think is, is super, super cool. And, you know, being able to be involved from a, uh, from a sense like that, you know, from start to finish, helping them choose the floor, helping them choose uh, lighting, speakers, um, and having uh, uh, an actual just training experience, not so much just gym equipment. We're trying to take our kind of thought processes behind some of these things and make the equipment more, um, I guess, palatable in a sense. So you don't just have like a big black steel structure in the center, you know, somewhere in your home, like, offering more, you know, colors that are more suited to go with the interior decoration of the house and, and things like that. Just taking a little bit different of a, of an approach because, you know, one of our customers, his, his wife isn't super into the home gym thing, but his, uh, he is. And kind of what sold his wife on it was, you know, putting together a, uh, you know, a color package that was actually very nice. And he's getting, um, a copper mixed with a uh, with like a cream color package. It's going to look really sick. So um, 
you know, that's just something that you, you're starting to see that a lot more, especially um, with the people working from home that they won't actually want something nice that'll give them that same sort of experience of going to a nice gym, but you know, they have it in the, in the room over in their garage or in a separate, you know, external building. So starting to see a lot more of that for sure. I'll agree with you all. And, and most specifically Steve, when he said that the home gym space is larger now as a result from the last couple of years, it is definitely bigger, but comparing this year's market, uh, and sales of products to last year's, sales are down tremendously across the board. I have a unique viewpoint of this because I sell wholesale primarily and I sell to everybody and everybody's buying less than they were last year by a tune of astronomical amounts uh, indifference. Most company sales are going to be substantially down this coming year compared to you know last year. Ours are up. You know, a lot of people, a lot of the largest companies out there made couple of big mistakes. If they were American made, they invested into further manufacturing processes, you know, as if this was gonna happen for last for 20 years. If they were Chinese made or overseas made, they invested into huge portfolios and uh, volumes of products that they're sitting on. Uh, you know, so they've got a massive amounts of inventory. We didn't do that. You know, we focused on innovating. You know, we didn't stop doing that. We made more products, so our portfolio is substantially larger. And we resulted in, you know, being able to produce some very high grossing products uh, within the past couple of years, which will help our sales continue to grow over this year compared to last. But the overall market, even though the size and the audience is larger, their buying patterns and habits right now have dropped substantially. Do you, do you think that's seasonality in terms of like, you know, I've, I've noticed as well, like you just don't see as many sales during the summer or is it just like people aren't building out or is that like economy or is it just like people have already filled up their home gyms? They're just buying a, a few things at a time. Now. That's a phenomenal question. I've been thinking about that a lot myself lately. Um, and I can only speak to my own personal buying patterns and habits, right? You got to see you're, you're, right. everyone's 401ks and stock portfolios. were looking a lot richer five or six months ago than they were right now. You know, I don't know anybody who's not going, wow, shit. I'm down 20, 30%, you know? So when, when you're down like that, it makes you feel less, you know, cash rich. So you don't spend as much on frivolous things in which you want. You don't spend as much on your house. You don't buy a new car. You know, even though that money's unrealized when it's sitting in an investment account, you, you, you still kind of feel as if it's in your pocket, you know? And two, that people have the ability to go out and rent these things now with the gyms open up at Planet Fitness for a dollar a day and a lunk alarm. You know, so there's less inclination for people to be buying like it's going out of style. And I, you know, I think the world affairs and, you know, you got wars going on all across the world. You don't know what the heck's going on. People are stressed out, not working out. You know? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's seasonal as in just like, you know, winter, spring, summer or fall. I think it's more of a macro view of everything that's going on in the world economy, world affairs and uh, just what has happened as this kind of a gestation period of the results of the past two to three years. So it, it will continue to grow and it will cycle back up. It's, this is just a uh, best way to put it is probably a correction period. Okay. I think there's some other stuff going on too. I think uh, customers in the market now are looking for more options, more value, more uh, more ingenuity uh, when it comes to products because there has been such an influx of great products and, and businesses that have hit the market and all kinds of new ideas. So there's just so much more offering out there that, you know, the business gets spread a little thin. So if you've got a product that, you know, being replicated by a lot of people or 
you you produce like a single use product. Like people aren't buying two UPSs. I take that back. One person did buy two UPSs, which was crazy. But most people are not going to buy. You know, actually, two people did anyway. But most people aren't going to buy that product. You know, twice. So we have to find like Dylan said. We have to expand our portfolio, come out with new products and things like that. Offer more value to the customer. I've seen an uptick, like like Patrick was saying, in customers wanting custom colors. Now our custom colors are thirty percent of the orders that come in. They want a custom color. And it's because they can't really get many other attachments in a custom color. And so we we kind of like clung to that. And even though we don't make any money, we probably lose money every time we do a custom color. Um, we're still offering that as an option because it's something that that draws a customer in. We we want to make that available. You know, we've been, we've had to raise our prices, but in that we tried to run more sales and find ways to add value uh, to, to the products that we offer and see what's most sensitive. And I think uh, it's funny, our, our free shipping that we did, our last sale that we did free shipping, that was probably our most successful sale. So that, that tells me that customers are really attuned to how much shipping is right now. And that free shipping was a great value after it, more so than 10% off. You know, which is pretty big on some of our products, you know, up to fifty dollars. So that's great insight to it because I think things have been done a certain way for so long. Um, you know, especially with some of these larger equipment manufacturers out here where it's like, hey, like we offer things one way, this is how it is, and they, they sort of lack kind of like on a customer service front. And a lot of these people out here, they're, they're, they're hungry for something new. They're hungry for innovation. They're hungry for actual experience, like a customer service experience that makes them feel valued. And, you know, it's something that I constantly preach to the team here. We have an acronym that's GAS that stands for, um, for giving a shit. And I keep telling them, I'm like, hey, like we might not have the biggest manufacturing facility. We don't have the biggest warehouse. We don't have, you know, we can't compete with some of these bigger guys when it comes to that kind of stuff. But somewhere where they won't beat us is when it comes to gas, like making sure people's DMs, emails, whatever messages get responded to within 24 hours, making sure that there's actual like care behind what we're giving them to like come down the packaging. Like I, I'd argue like no one packages stuff as nice or as well when we do, when the tape doesn't line up straight, when the letters on the tape are off, like that's something everybody looks at here. Like, yo, that's wrong. Like, we had a guy quit because you know, our guy that runs the warehouse over here was like, Hey man, like this tape isn't lining up. And he was like, what the hell? Like it, it, it's just going to get cut off. And we're like, yeah, I mean, it's still got to line up straight. I don't care if it's just going to get cut off and thrown in the trash. So it's like little stuff like that makes a huge difference. And, you know, we're seeing that in a lot of the customer um, interactions that we're having because we went through a long period of time where, you know, people were shut in their homes and just limited online. So actually being able to talk to somebody, being able to have contacts that are meaningful, um, I think that's what people are really going to care about. And then on the service side and then on the product side, you know, as you guys were saying, there's a million new equipment manufacturers and you're seeing these guys, I'm not going to say any names, but it's like, you see the exact same rack system made by like four or five different dudes. And so it's like, okay, there, there's really no innovation in that because they're going, they're finding some manufacturer in China who's just making it in mass for 15 different people. And then it becomes a race on who has the best price. But um, actually being able to come out with new stuff, actually being able to come out with stuff that is innovative, you know, that's why our number one core value is innovate, never replicate. Like we respect what other people are making, but we're going to make our own stuff. We're going to try to do things a little bit different. And that's a big value component, too. And then it doesn't become a, a race to the bottom for price. We can kind of move at our own speed. We can 
put stuff out there and give people the best service around our product because, you know, we design it, we build it and, you know, we know it front and back versus it showing up in a container and, be, and not even actually seeing it before it's sent out. Like so many of these places that completely blows my mind when something is just packaged up already and they throw a shipping label and send it out. And it's supposed to be like one of their core products or whatever you want to call it. That's just not how we do it around here. But, um, you know, I understand why people do so, but trying to focus on those things is, Personally, what I think is, is, is going to be a big game changer and why some of those smaller places who are actually innovating and doing cool stuff are going to continue to grow. Like Dylan's saying, they're continuing to grow because, dude, they're, they're crushing it over there at Abmat with all the new stuff they've been releasing. And, and it's cool. Really, really, really cool to see that. So. I'm blushing, literally. Thank you. <laughs> and even like, you know, Steve with his, with his Atlas attachment, like that's a gangster attachment. And yeah, you know. When I said packaging, like I've seen how that's packaged, you package it very, very nicely too, man. Like so, um, I was gonna call him out on that actually. Okay. Steve opened up my eyes to a customer experience just recently. I mean, you can even see it in the background right now. All those boxes were he took a square to that that pallet before this call started. But um, no, I, I'm working on a product right now with Steve, and I was telling him about how we do packaging. I was, I was like, we're just gonna throw it in a box. And he said, no. <laughs> He said, we're going to use my box design. He said, it costs this much. It's going to be a little bit more, but you're going to get a better customer experience. Yeah. And I thought about it and I was like, you're right. And like literally the day you said that, like I kept hearing that same message like two or three times over and over again throughout my just average day. I was listening to like some TikTok that was of Steve Jobs talking about Apple and how he focuses on building the customer experience first and then building a better technology around it because the best product doesn't matter in the world if no one can ever experience it. I was like, all right. Got to do something about packaging. So I, I got my graphic designer and uh, in-house graphic designer just completely gutting all of our packaging and boxing and making it a little bit more fun and Abmat-esque. So, yeah, both you two have opened me my, my eyes to packaging and uh, creating a better, a better customer experience upon delivery. And I always see Steve's products tagged on Instagram, and it's the box with the top flipped open <laughs> and displayed very nicely in that box. That's, that's definitely a good experience. He gives a wrench with his new uh, uh, landmine attachment that literally looks, it, it's got the KB logo like engraved on it that literally looks better than any snap-on tool I've ever purchased in my life. I still got it. I kept it at my That's house. That's the project the, in there. I, oh, the project. Yeah. Sorry. I, but yeah, I own that wrench. <laughs> high quality. Well, I feel like yeah, if the first thing a customer the, sees when they open the packaging, and even if it's a nice product and it's just thrown in there, it immediately puts doubt in their head like okay is this damaged or it, i paid for this product it's nice but it was just thrown out of box but i feel like if you eliminate that even though it's not a measurable factor when it comes to income or anything like that but the feedback the amount like we've never had a damaged product you know people haven't said hey this one came scratch or the box was crushed even in ups i keep that in mind they're not delivering thinking it's you know a dozen eggs in there they're kicked thrown up in the street at the door you know so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't steve i don't think anybody else in the industry is doing it quite like you guys Thanks. and i i would just also say beautiful packaging um let's let's move on to the third question though so all everyone on this call has invented something what would you say the most difficult part of inventing a pro a new product it's today is i don't think it's hard to create like a new product i think it's a lot harder to create an innovative product and on top of that one of high quality because when you make something innovative you're coming up completely from scratch so if you're just building something that already exists and changing a few things that's easy 
But if you're creating a new concept or whatever, that's obviously has a lot more hurdles because you're trying to solve a new problem. And the other thing, like the quality, when the quality goes up, obviously the price. So that's for us, for example, is the biggest hurdle is you can make, I can make something awesome, innovative, but if it costs me, you know, $300 and it's a product that people can only justify a hundred dollars for, cause most of everything on the product is priced substantially lower, you know, no matter how good something is, it's not going to matter if you can't release it. So that was my, the challenge early on with the Jack is I wanted to be the nicest thing and had all the features and the best quality, but the biggest challenge was making it feasible for a customer to justify purchasing. Over innovating sometime is kind of an issue that we have. We often will make something the best it can possibly be. And if the price is kind of too high for it to be released, then we kind of just put it on the back burner and wait for one of those cogent ideas of how to make it you know, molded or make it make it a little more simple or eliminate a step in manufacturing process. And they usually show up uh, sooner rather than later and usually at very strange times. But in terms of releasing a product right now, I think the hardest thing is just honestly the change that Apple made with their iOS 14 update where websites are no longer really tracking you. You know, I, I was, I'm, I'm all for the absolute privacy of everybody on the internet, but as a result, I've been getting worse and worse ads for myself and not getting the things in front of me that I actually want to buy in a gym setting. And marketing has turned to become more of a mass appeal. Um, it's become more like FM radio where you're speaking into a, a large audience that has a general idea of, of, of who they are, but you're not being able to target exactly what they listen to or when they listen to it or how they do it or what, where they're at at that situation, you know? So marketing has become a lot more expensive and a lot more kind of, you know, spray and pray. Um, so you'll, you'll be marketing to people that have absolutely zero interest in your product uh, who will just find, go out of their way to talk negatively on it and leave a bad comment or say, Oh, that's too expensive or why don't you just not buy that or offer some type of makeshift solution, which was the problem in which we went out to solve anyways. Um, you know, so it, it can kind of, it can kind of jade the initial customer experience from a marketing perspective. Um, so marketing has gotten a lot more expensive. The process of being able to sell something on your own has dwindled a little bit, unless you're in cahoots with uh, some distribution or some platforms in which you use to help sell your products direct. So, Personally, that's been my issues uh, re most recently with releasing a new product. I think prototyping for us, um, you know, we we probably make uh, stuff that's uh, a little more intricate than, than some of the other guys on the call because uh, Steve's really good at simplifying difficult things and, and uh, like Dylan's able to mold a lot of stuff. But, you know, some, some of the things that we're building right now have uh, – lots of parts, you know, 30, 40, 50 parts. There might be four vendors involved. Um, you know, one guy's plastic, one guy's steel. Then we weld it in house and it's got to go back out for powder coating. It might have some padding on it as well, as well as some UHMW, you know, so you're, you just got a lot of moving parts and you're waiting on vendors a lot of times. Uh, and so by the time you get the thing all put together and then it's got to go out to powder coat and then you got to get a custom box built for it. You know, it's, it's a long time and a lot of money uh, to make that type of thing happen. So I think that's probably, it's probably typical and it probably hadn't changed much, but now it seems uh, wait times are longer and quality is lower. Uh, so again, finding the right partner to land with that's going to invest time in that one-off that you're like, oh, we're going to sell 5,000 of these, right? Um, and finding somebody that will go on that journey with you 
and and get the things right in a timely fashion that you can get to market and be first, not get copied. Uh, and then, of course, raising all the hype around it and everything like that. You know, Dylan did a good job of talking about how expensive it is just to get that out to the right people, to the right audience, really find value in what you're producing. Um, that and the constant having to create content. Dylan's good at it. Steve's got Sierra. But, I mean, Patrick, I know you, you struggle with this because we've talked about it. it and being a content creator and being the owner of a small company and trying to come up with innovative equipment and manage your business from day to day, it's it's hard as shit. Um, it drives me crazy some days. So just trying to come up with creative ways to keep people engaged in the community that you've got um, so that they can see what you're working on, that that's probably one of my biggest struggles, honestly. Yeah, no, 1,000%. And that's, you know, we're we've been shifting certain things around here because, you know, I, I've been pretty much handling like all of the material purchasing, the, the APAR stuff, like things like that. And then, you know, bringing in people to take over that. So I personally can focus more um, on design, showing people, you know, Hey, like, this is what we're working on. These are new things that are coming because sometimes it's the end of the day and I'm like, Oh crap. Like that reel didn't get made or, this, you know, whatever might not have gotten done. Yeah, like that that's a whole job and responsibility in itself because sometimes putting together like a reel might might take me an hour. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and that's on the short side. But um no, that's definitely that's definitely tough, you know, going off what Dylan and Jason said is showing people a lot of the new stuff. And you know, the the, the other area where we're experiencing is, you know, going off what Jason said, sometimes things, uh, quality on things is lower and the lead time is longer and being able to, um, express to some of my vendors or people that we buy plastics from so on and so forth. Like, dude, like it cannot be like this or, Hey, we need the masking on this plastic to be a certain way because it's, you know, the vacuum on our CNC table is not going to hold it down as well. If there's this other type of masking or, you know, we got a whole pallet of plastic that, uh, it looked either it, it, it had gotten like damp through humidity or uh it got bent somehow but then the masking on it was all crinkly and then we can't cut like small parts out of it because the vacuum doesn't hold it well enough so like little things like that and then calling them back like hey we got this whole batch of material to send back because it's not good or some of the square tube we buy some of the flat steel we buy yeah pricing's higher than ever but delivery is slower and the quality is lower and it's like crap like we can't use this you know from the new and prototyping side it's it, it, it's it's actually been great. Like, you know, as you guys will see, we're going to have a lot, a lot, a lot of new products coming out soon. And we're lucky enough to work closely with, you know, some of the vendors we work with. Like some of our new products have a lot of smaller machine parts on them. And when we're prototyping all that stuff, like we don't have a, a full-on machine shop in-house, but a guy I work with is a old retired engine builder. And um, like the new machine parts on our pulleys, the new machine parts on our J-hooks, he'll make us like three or four of them. He's like, oh, how do these look? And then we'll take those and then take them to another shop we work with. And then they'll make the, you know, 500,000, 2,000 quantities we need. And we actually have something that's like, hey, this is uh, how it needs to be made. The guy that builds the engines, his attention to detail and quality is like very, very high level. So it's it's very helpful to have stuff like that. Because some of these places, like I called a place today looking for HREW and DOM tubing, and they're like, oh, uh, we won't send you a quote unless you want to buy 30,000 feet. 
I'm like, all right, cool. Like <laughs> I'll call somebody else. So, um, yeah, it is, it, it is, it is, you know, there's a lot of like little challenges and nuances, but, um, you know, it's, it's just what we're here for. Like we got to be creative and, and find a way around them. I think as long as the internet will hold out for me, ours is probably coming up with something that's like cost effective too. So like we just came out with this weight tree, we got some dumbbell handles that are coming out, but like sometimes getting it started is really great. You have this really great idea and you start assembling it. Then you realize on the weight tree, I need a dowel rod and hardwood and screws and paint and I got to laser it. And then it's like, then I got to ship it and that's gonna be 10 bucks. And then all of a sudden the cost balloons up and then I'm like, geez, I don't know if anybody's gonna buy this or not. And so definitely trying to reverse engineer to make it affordable. And then we look always at a shipping perspective of how can we ship it the most effective way where it's the same shipping rate, no matter where we send it. And then we sort of work backwards from that. Um, a lot of our stuff, like our dumbbell handles are designed to fit in a medium flat rate box. So we can guarantee the rate is whatever they're charging for a medium flat rate box. So um, that's sort of how we look at it. Um, I like to try new stuff. I like to do one-off stuff and stuff that we just sell on our website and not necessarily on Amazon. And that would be like the weight tree or these aluminum thick grip dumbbell handles that we might come out with that are sort of unique. But, but yeah, that's how, how we look at it. Definitely like this time around, it just seems like everything's so much more costly than it was coming up with something a couple of years ago, I guess. Yeah, this, uh, this next question, somewhat similar. So if you don't really have anything, no worries. But what's the biggest threat to gym equipment suppliers today? I, you could also kind of take this question as what's something that would put you out of business, maybe if you have control or not as well. I would say probably like inflation would be a big one because fitness isn't technically a necessity. So that's probably one of the first expenses to go for somebody that's really cracking down on finances and probably the lead times because everything is getting slowed down. So even during COVID, when everything got backed up, you weren't even able to get material, even though it was extremely expensive. So those delays can really chip away at a business, I feel. And uh, I think, honestly, that's probably the main two I can think of. Well, on the accessory side of things, I could tell you there's a lot of people out there that have been priced out of the market as of the result of, you know, prices going up to where, you know, things that used to have margin in them that you could sell through wholesale outlets at a 30 or 40 percent discount no longer can. So the prices have gone up. And when you look at something and you go, wow. $70 for a piece of foam or something like that, that used to be 30 or 40 that you expect to buy from China for five. So you could sell it at, you know, the dollar general for 10. It's kind of a hard palate for some people to swallow. So a lot of the small, there's been a lot of small companies that are going belly up, especially ones that have been focused on like raw commodities. If you were selling chalk in the past three years, your prices have gone up 1200% to the point where you cannot afford to make and sell chalk. You know, magnesium carbonate light. It's either used for rock climbing or makeup, and makeup took precedent during the pandemic. You know, so there's there's been a lot of changes on, on raw materials and commodities. I think the biggest threat to any companies out there is just monolithic consolidation. You know, some company comes out and takes such slim margins, sells direct to customer at a very low acquisition cost and makes a variant of every single one of their products. You know, I, my platform is built off of selling to everybody and staying within our lane of accessories to guarantee that if somebody were to take on my products, at least I'm eliminating them as a com competitor to give innovators a fighting chance, you know, of not just betting on a single horse, but you get to, you know, basically buy the farm. You know, I, if somebody came out with like a, Right now, you can't do it, so it's not really a threat. But if somebody were to come out with like a an imported business of an exact 
high quality product of every single innovative accessory out there on the market and you know try to get around their ip they and sell to the consumer with a very low cost they could be a, a very serious threat to everybody on this call i don't think that company exists right now nor do, is the is the is the world affairs in a place where somebody can build that said model but uh, that'd probably be the biggest threat if it were to occur I'm impressed you're following the makeup industry. I follow the magnesium carbonate light industry. Sure. I was curious <laughs> of that from a commodity standpoint. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to get out of this one. <laughs> no. And, you know, going off of what, what both of you guys just said, you know, of course the, you know, the, the inflation issues is an issue. And, you know, I, I personally though, don't think that anybody, you know, fitness necessarily is going anywhere, you know, being healthy, working out for people. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge part of their lives, obviously. And then, you know, and I, I'm sure all of us are seeing on Instagram, like a new flex that people are doing, you know, is their home gyms or how cool is their home gym? I almost feel like it's the new, like, Hey, look at how, you know, look at my diesel truck or look at my car and look at how the engines build or whatever it might be showing up at a car meet. You just can't, but you can't take your home gym to a car meet, but you just put it out there on Instagram. And I think that, um, you know, what I said earlier about, you know, providing a, a really awesome experience and providing like truly innovative products is what's going to um, keep some people, uh, you know, keep people around. If, if you're one of those companies that just buys and sells the same thing that everybody else sells, um, I think those types of companies are in trouble. Like a lot of these flash in the pan companies, you saw a lot of them pop up in 2020, 2021, where, you know, they, like I said, they sell the same thing as 13 other people. I think a lot of those places are in trouble because at the end of the day, whoever's going to win is going to be the one who has the most purchasing power, the biggest warehouses, and who can essentially buy it for the cheapest and sell it for the most. And, but, uh, you know, places like, Somebody asked me, oh, what if Amazon just comes and, uh, you know, essentially starts making for something like a Phoenix rack? Like, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, that's that's fine. Um, it's 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 not going to be built as well. It's not going to be nowhere near as nice and their customer service isn't going to be near the quality. So, I mean, sure, they can do it. But like I said, when it comes to that gas portion, the the giving a shit portion, the companies that big can't compete with people that are smaller and can move, change directions faster. So, you know, I think pretty much everybody on this call is, is doing really cool, innovative things there that they service their customers very well. You know, and I think that's a very strong platform and foundation for places going forward. You know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying it's impossible for any one of us to go out of business, but I think the likelihood is a little bit lower. Something that no one's talked about yet. Um, and it's affecting us here in Nashville. Steve and I have talked about it a couple of times uh, offline. Uh, rent <laughs> um, in Nashville for commercial space is astronomical. And the amount of businesses that have moved in and sucked up, you know, spaces that are under 10,000 square feet for industrial and warehouse space, you would find a listing and it would literally already be gone by the time you got in touch with the real estate agent. So like if you didn't have, if you weren't paying a real estate agent to find you property, you didn't even have a chance. Um, like you couldn't just go out there and find find your own warehouse space. We got lucky, but I'm now driving, you know, 35 miles outside of Nashville every day to my new warehouse space. Uh, and it's a third of the price um, of what I could have gotten in downtown Nashville. Um, so like we couldn't have operated in this size space in downtown. I mean, I would have been out of business already. Um, that coupled with, you know, 
paying someone who's willing to drive from their home and drive an hour away and those things and, and paying your employees what you want them to be worth. Cause that's something that we take pretty seriously. Um, I don't have many employees, but the ones I do have, I expect them to perform and I pay them uh, a good wage, you know, what I would want uh, to make myself in that same position. And so, uh, you know, our, our starting wage is seventeen fifty an hour. Um, and so we like keeping up with that, you know, and now $15,000 of payroll every month, coupled with, you know, $10,000 in, in rent, it's a lot of overhead. Uh, so, you know, making sure that your sales and somebody talked about earlier June, July were just miserable retail months um, for us. And so we, we had to be prepared to kind of take that hit on the head and, and take a loss in those months. Uh, and so I think that's probably our biggest threat is that overhead continues to climb and uh, we have to continue to bring products and, and expand our portfolio because our margins aren't, aren't really going anywhere. They're about, you know, where they're going to be. So uh, just trying to bring more value out of everything we can to help help offset that cost. That's a great point. I'll uh, add something that no one talked about yet. Um, definitely overseas competitors coming in will affect my business, dumbbell plates, things like that. People can sell it cheaper. Um, but I think just a threat to the fitness space is probably complacency and thinking that you can just keep selling the same item no matter what happens. Um, I think that's going to affect maybe not our businesses or the people on this call, but it will affect other businesses. And like they're, you know, you're going to double down on your J cups or double down on your micro plates, but maybe there's just another competitor that's just out there crushing you or someone has like better brand recognition because building a brand, I don't know who's talking about social media, but like building a brand is really important right now. It's the reason people buy Nike shoes. Whenever shoes at Walmart get the job done, they cover your feet. You can walk around. Um, but there's a reason someone spends 200 bucks on a pair of Air Force Ones. Um, there's a lot of brand recognition there. So something to keep in mind is, you know, if you obviously too complacent and you double down on products that maybe don't do as well or other companies are doing better, that's going to cost you. Definitely keeping um, innovative, innovating new stuff and maybe forgetting a line, you know, maybe that means for micro games, we don't sell micro plates in the future because it just isn't a viable line anymore. You know, just something to think about. Good point. Oh yeah. That's no, that makes sense. Uh, Adapt or die. Yeah. Mike, that's why, you know, um, we, uh, and, and and I think too, um, and, and I want to continue on what Mike was saying that, um, just moving and executing like quickly is, is, is extremely important. And that's, a pretty tough lesson that um, I've learned because we've had, I mean, yeah, Dylan, I, I emailed you those, uh, those SolidWorks renderings of our new GHD and, you know, Dylan's going to be helping us with the pad on that. And it's like, dude, I've had those for like over a year and it's, you know, I sitting down with myself like, bro, why, why haven't we moved on this? Like we need to be faster. And I don't necessarily want to say like we were complacent, but you know, just that sense of urgency and saying like, you know, okay, like we need to move on this like right now, not like, oh yeah, we'll get to that because, you know, we're trying to get caught up on orders or this, that, and the other, um, just being more aggressive on certain things is, is definitely going to be a big factor too. Um, and how quickly certain things can get done. But, uh, you know, like what Mike was saying, you know, you never want to get complacent. Like if, if we were sitting here and saying, oh yeah, we're just going to sell Phoenix racks, you know, we're not going to work on a new cool pulley system or our new combo J hooks or our new Clydesdale yoke. Like a lot of these things or you know, the new GHD, like people want that new, new, and they want to see a company that is actively working on stuff. It's exciting. And if you can't bring that excitement, because there's certain, you know, larger players in this game where, you know, they're, they're not really 
doing anything exciting and you're starting to see them sort of decline a little bit and people getting more, you know, enthralled and excited about some of these smaller brands. You know, that's a that's a big, big, big opportunity that I think all of us have, you know, where, yeah, just don't get complacent. Look at some of these other people getting complacent and it's not going to be good. Timing is really important right now. I, I mean, Steve and I have had many conversations on different ideas and things that we wanted to do and we try to think through them and wait for the perfect time and the perfect position within the market and think through every single thing in the world. And then in the process, we're a few months away from about to get a prototype on the market and five or six other companies already came out with a, 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 a version or iteration of that idea. I can't tell you how many times I've had ideas of things that hit the market and I just have to go, oh, shit. Mm -hmm. you know, and you, because you, you don't ever think that other people are thinking the exact same thing you're, you are. You know, so it's, I've seen all of you on this call right now, I've noticed that none of your products are ever done. Like once you guys find a way to improve upon your product, you just implement it, you know, uh, you know, whether it's announced or not, you guys are just continually improving your product. I see it most prevalently with Mike, you know, I've been following you for a very long time and I've seen the pro progress of like your, your loadable uh, dumbbell uh, weight adjustments that have, every single time I see it, it looks better than the last iteration of it. Um, you know, so you, you, you clearly are somebody who's willing to adapt and continue changing your portfolio and, and not getting complacent or stuck within the status quo. You're always looking for the new opportunity of things. So I think that's going to be very important moving forward. You know, you can't overinvest into a bad process. You got to continue improving upon it. Mm -hmm. All right. If you guys are up for one more question, what advice would you give somebody wanting to start their own fitness equipment company? <laughs> All of all of what you just said, I first. guess. <laughs> uh, I think I think, I think uh, yeah. Jason said don't. <laughs> yeah. uh, it'll be fun. They said you know, start your own business. It'll be it'll be so much fun, and you'll make tons of money, and uh, it won't cause any stress at home, and you'll never struggle. You know, I, I would say that Steve probably has the best advice. And I know that because I reached out to him really early when I got into this. I reached out to Jake. I reached out to Adam from Garage Gym Lab. I reached out to all the guys that I knew that were in this space. And, you know, I'd already been around the home gym space for a little while as a consumer and as a personal trainer. And so I kind of been around some guys that had done it, but I still had so many questions. And I think hiring the right people, trust in the process, and vetting, you know, your ideas with trusted individuals, trusted individuals, and also safeguarding your intellectual property at all costs is the best advice I can give somebody. There's a careful balance between um, putting yourself out there and sharing too much. Uh, Steve, Steve walks a tight line with his stuff, which uh, I really respect, but also, you know, um, What's really worked well for us is keeping it simple, stupid, and, and not being scared to reinvent what you're doing. Um, we've made small incremental changes. You know, Dylan talked about this to, to the UPS um, that have paid dividends for customers. Like when you notice value for someone, try and build that into the next iteration. You know, start with smaller batches, build that into the next iteration. When you learn how to do something better, do it. Do the best you can until you learn how to do better. And that, that's kind of what's driven us, you know, this whole time. Our margins have increased. We've been able to share that with the customer or we've been able to offer more and, and a better product. Like now, 
The UPS has five eighths and one inch holes. So if you're a five eighths inch rack owner and you buy our product and you upgrade to a one inch, you don't have to buy a new UPS. It's upgrade proof, and that's a that's a big value add for a lot of people. So you're not stuck with that with that one product. Um, you know, just things like that. You, you always have to be willing to pivot and and find where the path of least resistance is. Good points. I I, I do as well follow the kiss method, even though I really overanalyze a lot of stuff but as, as far as advice goes for someone that wants to start like creating fitness products i would say is create something that has an easier barrier to entry so don't try to create a peloton competitive bike you know and that's your first thing because you don't have the resources and the capital and all that and i would say just limit your overall risk and try to come up with something simple it has to be innovative unless you have a ton of capital to throw at something with marketing and all that and self-educate because if you are paying someone to do all the CAD drawings and then you're paying someone to fabricate it and then you're paying this guy, you're going to, you know, dig yourself a pretty deep hole investment wise. And, you know, I've watched Shark Tank and the person has this product that seems fairly simple and they have 40 grand invested in creating it, you know, and they haven't even started the business yet. So work slow, like stay controlled, I guess I would say. And, um, trying to put the cart out of the horse all times and yeah just uh i think self-educating is the big one because if you're relying on too many people and you're just starting the business and if you lose those resources then you know you want to be able to step in yourself so i always believe that if you're just say running a business you should be able to do everybody's job below you i've written down a few things that you know based primarily off of my own personal experiences of getting into this industry i think the most important thing is finding a niche, you know, first something don't, unless, unless your goal is just to be, you know, the exact same as everybody else, but just take some market share, you know, go source your stuff from China and have at it. You're, you're now a marketing agency that specializes in selling lead. If, if you're really wanting to get into this industry and make a name for yourself from the innovative side, like all of us have, start with the backbone, you know, build one product and maximize it as much as you possibly can. And don't focus on, you know, getting your secondary product out until you feel like you've truly optimized the first and aim towards perfection. You'll, ne you'll never reach it, but the journey itself is going to yield its own rewards and you're going to have a better groundwork for and foundation for rolling out your next product. And every single time you do that and you, you grow your distribution outlets, your manufacturing capabilities, the next product's going to get easier. You know, So don't fully optimize, but get pretty close to where you feel like, okay, we're, we're, I'm ready for the next thing until you, you're comfortable. You know, if you wait for all the lights to turn green, you're never going to get out of town. So sometimes you got to run a couple of yellows and, and take a risk. Like Steve said, you have to learn enough about everything that you're involved in to know if you're being taken advantage of. You have to be able to do the jobs of the people below you. And if you want to be the person above you, you got to better, you better learn that job too. You know, so don't quit your day job until, you know, what you're doing now is always the best thing you can possibly be doing unless you got a, something that you're missing out on. Right. So don't quit your day job until you got enough of a foundation to know you're going to be able to build your livelihood around it. So you don't have to take stupid risks. Stay the course. You know, remember why you started. You know, I see a lot of these companies out here, especially in the CrossFit space. They'll come out with one really cool, unique product, like a new weight vest or a new grip. Um, and they've made a name for themselves off of that. And they've got reached a big following. And then the next thing you know, they turn into another Me Too company. And the 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 guise of innovation that they started with slowly dwindles and they just become another, you know, add on a billboard at, at a CrossFit event. Make friends, 
right? Meet people, learn best practices, share best practices, be open and honest and true, and other people will be as well. And you'll be able to grow off of the efforts, uh, the compounding efforts of the people around you faster. And lastly, know what you're good at, right? You got to very easily narrow it down. Every single one of us is smart enough to open up a business book and say, okay, we need to do all of these things to be successful. That's true. Now take a highlighter and really highlight the ones that you are absolutely best at that you don't think you can hire somebody better to do than you. And then hire accordingly to, for, and job out the other steps. You know, we all know we need to be on social media. If you're not able to do it, find somebody that can. Because you know, the miracles are always going to hide within the work that you're avoiding. And don't avoid work. Don't avoid problems. Run directly to them. And th things will uh, level out for you. Impediment to action is always going to advance your action. Whatever's standing in your way must become your way. Good points. Um, to piggyback on what Dylan said, I definitely don't wait to put out your products. Um, too many people wait too long and you can start getting out like a prototype or something decent right away. I said this on a previous podcast with Jake that you can start selling on eBay. You don't even need a website to start. You can start selling on Amazon. You don't need a website to start. You can sell on Walmart. You can sell on Craigslist. You can get those things going for you. Send your product to some garage gym review guys if they're willing to take it. Maybe not like the top garage gym review guy, maybe somebody that's just starting out that can take your product. You can get pictures from it like that, something like that. Um, but you definitely want to look into a niche market. You don't want to jump into a space that Rogue dominates or the Titan dominates or that Rep dominates. You want something niche and you want to just start with like one product, like Dylan mentioned, um, you know, make it better, get some feedback, make it better. You know, we did the same thing with the dumbbell plate that Dylan mentioned. I mean, I've made, I don't know how many revisions to that product and we're still making revisions to the product that we have now that has the internal spring. Um, we just increased the spring size of it just to have it a little more snappy. And we didn't say anything to anybody, but I mean, it's something that like we just continue on. I just say, don't wait because someone will put out something that you're going to be like, oh, shoot, uh, they got it before me. And I had this great idea and ideas are trash without execution. So remember that. And also, you know, what one thing that kind of stuck out to me uh, that Dylan said is, you know, remember why you started. Um, I was I was at my barber. Actually, it was a few weeks ago. And uh, he was like, yeah, you know, my son really likes lifting weights. And he, I think he's going to. I was telling him about you when he said he's going to start a fitness equipment company. And it was like my first thought was, I'm like, yeah, good luck, man. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I try not to be that dude who's, you know, pessimistic. And, you know, I, I wholeheartedly believe, you know, you know, especially living in this country, anybody could do anything. But um, it's, you know, people who were like, oh, yeah, I could make a ton of money doing this and I'm going to do it. And I'm, I'm just like, dude, don't waste your time, man. You know, unless you have that that one idea or that one way or that one service that you can offer people that's you know truly going to add value to their lives and make it better that you are also um passionate about and that you love i mean it's it's not going to work out i mean there's so many times i mean i've been kicked in the dick a thousand times doing this and you know with a lot of the mistakes i've made that you guys have mentioned and it's just the only thing that's keeping me here is you know i i love doing this um fitness changed my life and i'm sure it's changed each and every single it has changed each and every single one of yours and it's essentially what what you know, what carries, you know, myself and my team here, um, through. So, uh, you know, if you're trying to start something up uh, because I can make money doing this, I mean, just don't, don't waste your time. And, um, and two, like self-educating, like YouTube, YouTube is huge. You can learn anything on YouTube. I learned how to use SolidWorks on YouTube. My degree from college was essentially a waste of time, but it has nothing to do with engineering, but you know, YouTube, just get on there. If you have a question, go on YouTube. Somebody, somebody's teaching and talking about it. And then uh, 
like what Mike said, you, you don't need a, a crazy website to, to even just start, just, um, just throw it out there on Facebook, throw it out there on eBay, like something. Reach out to people, talk to a lot of people. Dylan said, make friends. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for some of the people that, you know, I just showed up at different shops, showed up at different manufacturers. Hey, what's up? I, I got this idea. Can you guys help me out? And just being sincere and earnest with people, that's, that's really all it is. But yeah, I think what, what you guys, uh, what you guys said are all phenomenal points. Yeah, networking, I think, has been big, too, because you can share idea, well, mostly resources. You know, I direct people all the time, like, hey, have you thought of doing it this method? Maybe they're not aware of that, or, hey, this person's in your area, this person's I, I use, and they are really good at what they do. You should try them out. I think the first thing that you should create, even though you have to find a niche, it has to be something that it also is solving a problem. So some I've had a few people come up to me, and they're like, hey, I got this product idea, and it essentially does what everything else does, no better, just different. So you have to really kind of dissect what you're creating in order to make it have a big splash or be noticeable other than just kind of people not being able to distinguish what the difference is. And I would say it sounds cliche, but don't do it for the money. Because if you have, if it's your passion, like my passion isn't to make fitness equipment, it's to create. And if you have a passion you feel strong enough about, then the money will come if you care enough. Yeah. And I, and, and, and I think too, you know, other people know too, if, you know, if I didn't care and, you know, I wouldn't be answering people's DMS and emails at, you know, one in the morning, you know what I mean? And, you know, people can pick up on that real quick. Don't, don't take criticism from people. You wouldn't ask for advice. That's true. That's too. Good. There's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of insecurity in this space and I just wouldn't feed into it. You know, uh, if you stick to the program and you create a good plan and you have a plan, even down to like every day, like create a plan, stick to the program, trust the process. That's the way to get to the next step. If you're always feeding off of uh, like, you know, oh, I didn't I didn't meet this goal or my my end goal isn't happening and all this. That, that's not going to get you very far. You have to trust the process. Yep. Cool. Well, I think that's going to do it. Thanks again, guys. Uh, we've been sitting here a while. So, and I, like I said at the beginning of the call, I know you guys are super, super busy. I uh, greatly appreciate your time. And uh, you guys all had a ton of incredible insights that I know a lot of listeners will really love. So thank you again. Thanks, Jake. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it, Jake.